When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seven was billed as one of the best weekends of college football to this point, and man, did it deliver. What an incredible weekend of football. Upsets galore. The tide goes down. TCU stuns Oklahoma State in overtime and so much more here on the Week 7 recap of the 3 Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason. Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney, joining me in a cloudy rainy metroplex gentlemen that was a brilliant day of college football i hope you guys got to uh, enjoy it around the various activities that i know uh, both you and your loved ones were were taking on yesterday first question that i just i have to throw to you guys as we start the show off what did we learn this weekend about contenders and pretenders because my goodness there was a a lot of data coming in on the tv yesterday Lots of data, lots of offensive points scored. Defense was optional or just kind of, you know, opportunistic in most of these <laughs> big games, uh, to put it nicely. I think it, it goes without saying, but I think the clear lesson that we learned is quarterback play has to be there. If you don't have an elite quarterback, if you don't have a guy that is a difference maker, you're not, you're not going to be anything this year, at least this year in college football. Sometimes we have, you know, the stories about, a team rising up in spite of a quarterback deficiency. Maybe you look at last year's Georgia team where Stetson Bennett wasn't an all world talent last year, but they relied on the defense. They relied on a lot of really talented uh, skill position players to kind of offset that. I don't think you're going to see that this year, even with Georgia Stetson Bennett has taken a step up and has kind of risen to that occasion to keep Georgia where they're at. But where would Tennessee be without Hinden hooker? Where would TCU be without Max Duggan? Where would so many of these surprise teams be without just an absolute difference maker at quarterback? They wouldn't be where they are. Yeah, and the defense has to be opportunistic, right? It can't be, you know, you're not going to see this year at least, you know, big defensive performances, kind of like what we saw at a Georgia last year where their defense could carry them, right? You're not going to see that this year, not out of the top teams at least. Um, you're going to have to see defenses come up with big plays at the right time. You know, I think back to TCU, you know, in that game yesterday and that pick late that helped kind of seal it for them and and get them back to where they could score again to catch up and, and complete the comeback. But, man, like you, you have to learn how to play opportunistic defense in today's day and age. And if you're not going to have that stud at the quarterback, you got to at least have a Blake Corum. you got to have somebody who can run yeah. the football. 
That, that's that's a good point. And you know, talking about opportunistic defense, you know, the, the the game of the week, maybe the game of the year. That's what I tweeted about yesterday on uh, on our social media, which I'll give a shout which out. Which one? Because they were like well, three or four. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I was going to say. I was referencing Tennessee, Alabama, and you know, Alabama's defense was extremely opportunistic. Right? You have a scoop and score. You have uh, just overwhelming moments where it seemed like Tennessee's comeback opportunity, or I'm sorry, Tennessee's uh, initial opportunity to upset the tide was going to be erased by a comeback that the tide had. And a lot of that had to do with the tide's defense rising up and stopping Hendon Hooker and stopping that rushing attack on certain series. They obviously didn't do it through the longevity of the game. Um, But I, I completely agree. You have to force turnovers for me, you have to be able to score 40. It's like all of a sudden we've put in this minimum threshold where, hey man, if you're not scoring 40 against the best teams in the country, you're, you're probably losing. Um, and quarterback <laughs> play goes into that. You've got to have a defense that can score. Um, so couple all of those things that, that you guys just said into one team and you may end up you know, describing your national champion at the end of this year. Uh, a lot to get to, obviously, in this show. We want to address the housekeeping first. If you're not following us on our social media at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter, where have you been these last few weeks? We, we hammer it home each and every week. Go over, <laughs> give us a follow. We'd love to see you um, join the family, continue to interact with us each and every day, and especially on game day. We, we just roll out content constantly, basically. You can also email the show as well at 3TechPod uh, at gmail.com. And if you have not already subscribed to the podcast, please do so. That certainly helps us with our ratings. It helps us. Uh, with the algorithm is uh, it continues to recommend us to other college sports fans. And at the end of the day, we want to have fun with as many of you guys as we possibly can. But housekeeping out of the way, gentlemen, Tennessee, Alabama, let's dive into this one. We, we've kind of given our initial reaction to it off the top. First time in 15 years, a decade and a half that Rocky Top has beaten Alabama. There were a bunch of tweets going viral with, you know, fan celebrations and specifically kids who had literally never seen the Tide beat Alabama in their lifetime. Any any success that they had experienced over Alabama was through YouTube, and uh, it was just a party on Rocky Top. It still is. I'm, I'm sure there is just copious amounts of, of uh, alcoholic beverages still flowing. A historic day for Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver for Tennessee, playing in place of their former uh, wide receiver, number one, who who went down with a leg injury, is still out. But six receptions, five touchdowns, 207 yards. Guys, he had a Randy Moss-like performance, and uh, obviously it starts with Hendon Hooker throwing the football. Trey, I'll start with you. I mean, goodness, how do you digest all of all of what happened on the field yesterday? Uh, yesterday? Tennessee jumps out to a lead, Alabama comes right back, and then we truly get what I believe will be the game of the year when we look back on 2022. Yeah, just absolutely insane. It's so rare that we get one of these games that lives up to the hype, lives up to the billing all week long, especially when Alabama's involved. Nick Saban's Alabama teams have really tended to spoil those hyped-up game performances, just coming out and absolutely dominating. But, man, from the word go, Hinton Hooker and this Tennessee offense were just ready to play, and they exploited Alabama's weaknesses on defense. We kind of talked about that Alabama secondary in the lead-up to this game, and we kind of talked about how they're probably going to struggle, even with Tennessee missing their best wide receiver. They're probably going to struggle 
to cover these receivers because an athletic secondary at LSU struggled the week before. So all the credit in the world to Tennessee. I just, I can't imagine being a Tennessee fan right now. It, it has to feel so, so good to finally get that monkey off your back. Guys, there hasn't been a student on campus at Tennessee that saw a their team beat Alabama since 2010. Okay, the, la- the last group that saw their team beat Alabama graduated in 2010. So just feels so great for that fan base. Years of frustration. They took it all out on that poor goalpost that just didn't stand a chance and it's probably still <laughs> floating down the river somewhere. Like, this is what college football is all about. And I- I've heard a couple podcasts already talk about this this morning, just kind of in my prep for this show. But, man, we could take this the direction of, what does this mean for Tennessee's playoff chances? We could take this a direction of what does this mean for Hinden Hooker for Heisman, but let's just live in this moment, man. Like this is what makes college football great. Watching that celebration last night, watching that fan base, just the videos that have come out on Twitter. This is what makes college football great. It You can do that. You can take it the direction of the college football playoff. You can take it the direction of the Heisman trophy. That's all fine and dandy, but there's going to be time for those conversations. Let's just, live in this moment and celebrate alongside these Tennessee fans because we have a team that is really fun to watch. And even if they slip up in a couple weeks to Georgia or to Kentucky or to both, that's not going to take away from this victory at all. Yeah, no, this win was special for Tennessee. And I think the point Trey is, well, why is this so big? Well, it wouldn't make that much of a difference to them if it was, you know, they were one and four, or they were five and oh, they, they want to beat Alabama. Right now, what it means for the program is that, you know, you're five and oh, you just beat Bama. Now you've continued your undefeated season and, you know, you're looking at the opportunity now to go to a playoff. You get to have those conversations going forward. That's not what anyone was thinking about last night when they were throwing that goalpost down the river. I would like to see eyes on that goalpost and see if we can make sure it gets returned to its proper home. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Look, what Hypo has done with the Vols, it's amazing. Nothing short of amazing. They were not a very good team. They were not a very good program. There was that whole hiring fiasco, if you remember, a little while back, where they were going to hire a guy, and then they didn't hire him, and then everything else. Heupel comes in. He makes this thing. He, he turns this thing around almost overnight. Like It seems like he showed up, and then all of a sudden, they were better. Yes, Hinn and Hooker, he was sensational. At this point, he's going to live in legendary status within the Tennessee fan base for you know decades to come. But let's also, again, mention Jalen Hyatt. He had a game. Six catches, five touchdowns is efficiency. That's all that that is. Add on the 207 yards. What a baller, right? Just fantastic game for him. He's going to remember that for the rest of his life. Just good for everyone on that sideline, right? If you're wearing orange this morning, things are going well for you. You're thrilled. Side note on this one, and I wanted to address this part. If you want to blame the rest for this, stop. Just stop. Okay. I saw a lot of Alabama fans talking about how it was the ref's fault and they weren't calling this. They didn't call this. Just stop. You've gotten so much help from the refs over the last several years. You've got multiple championships in your back pocket. No one's going to feel bad for you. You're Alabama. When you are the better looking team on the field, you get the benefit of the doubt, right? If you look like you're the better team and then a guy pulls your guy down, then you're going to get pass interference. Yesterday, the eye test told you Tennessee was the better team. You got beat. Bryce played. He looked good. He had great numbers. And you just weren't the better team. That's all that it was. You were on the road. It was tough, right? Tough fought game. But Tennessee was the better team yesterday. They deserved to win. And I don't want to hear anything about the refs. That's going to be a theme I bring up a couple times. Yes, the refs can have an influence on a game. They did not decide this game. 
right? Tennessee still went out. They still completed passes with 15 seconds left, and they still kicked a field goal to beat you. That's it. Yeah, when you dive into the team stats on this game, it, it's amazing. Obviously, the scoreboard's going to show that with Tennessee only winning by three. Um, but man, was this just a closely fought game, and it was decided in just a couple different areas, like almost even on first downs, almost even within two yards of each other in total yardage. The big difference to me was Tennessee's ability to run the ball on offense mm-hmm. and stop the run on defense. They really shut down that Alabama run game. Now, a lot of that was Alabama playing from behind early, and Alabama was able to pick that Tennessee secondary apart, like you said, Garrett, with Bryce Young playing really, really well. But Tennessee's ability to run the ball and kind of get whatever they wanted on the ground, whether that be Hinton Hooker on quarterback keepers or running the ball with their running backs, it, it, it really changed that game. And also the penalties. It was the most penalties Alabama has ever committed in a game. 17 penalties for 130 yards that you're just handing an offense like Tennessee. Like, not not a winning formula. And to your point, Garrett, they weren't questionable calls. Nope. They were not like, oh, this wasn't like a, oh, that's a phantom pass interference call. It was, oh, your defensive back pulled a receiver down because he couldn't cover him. Yep. Or it was an obvious false start or it was an obvious hold or something like that. So, yeah, if you're blaming the refs, you need to take a look in the mirror and look at your own team's execution and their ability to perform in a raucous environment because the crowd caused a lot of those penalties too. Mm-hmm. And one more to that point, there was one play earlier in the game. I can't remember which drive it was because there's just so many scoring drives, but there was one play where it was the third down and Bryce was scrambling around and he was trying to find a guy and he pauses and he throws it up and it, their guy falls down with another guy in the end zone and it got called defensive pass interference. But when you look at the replay, the Alabama receiver grabbed the guy's Jersey and they both went falling down. So they kind of got bailed out in that way. And so I'm not to say, you know, oh, the refs were this way, the refs were that way. It's to say, don't bring up the refs. The refs don't make 60 minutes of football, okay? Unless you're getting it every single play, the refs didn't make that game happen. So I'm I'm not going to hear it. It's going to be something I bring up a couple more times, but I'm not going to hear it with the refs today. Uh, on the penalties, there's a disturbing trend emerging for Alabama, and it's that they can't handle raucous home environments as of late. Uh, now, they may win the football game, but they've given away a lot of free yardage. You look back at the last four true road games, and this uh, on Twitter, uh, according to Pat Ford, the last four road games, you look at Auburn last year, they gave up 11 penalties for 129 yards. Texas this year, 15 for 100. Arkansas, 10 penalties for 101. And then in total to Tennessee, 17 penalties for 130 yards. That negates when you dominate time of possession, which this article from Sports Illustrated also notes, they dominated that to the tune of 37 and a half minutes to 22 and a half minutes. So again, part of that was Tennessee, when they scored, they scored quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Hinton Hooker to Jalen Hyatt, one play, 75 yard touchdown pass. Um, but which still, time? When, when, you're, when you're not able to consistently stay ahead of the chains. And early on, as Bama fell behind in that game, it wasn't just negative plays. It wasn't just Jameer Gibbs getting stacked up at the line of scrimmage, a screen pass not going for anything more than two yards. It was chaining penalties in a row, a false start, an illegal formation, a holding call. And all of a sudden, you're at first and 25, and Bryce Young is in the shadow of his own goalpost. Um, Mm -hmm. And and Trey, like you said, the, the home crowd, they forced a lot of that. They helped, truly helped a a Tennessee team 
that has been very solid against the run this year, they've been kind of dreadful against the pass. And the stats, obviously, they didn't exactly improve on that, but they were opportunistic, like we talked about off the top of the show. They got uh, uh, blitzes, excuse me, in Bryce Young's face, forced a lot of inaccurate passes from Bryce. And even though he throws for 455 yards and two touchdowns, you're still able to control that game throughout the majority of it. Now, you know, you fumble it on a bad snap there in the third quarter. All of a sudden, Bama's got the scoop and score right as the broadcast is talking about, ah, can this Bama defense force a turnover? Sure enough, they do. Mm-hmm. But that offense continued to rally back and uh, just a historic day, as we talked about for Tennessee in that offense. You, you beat Alabama for the first time in 15 years. And yeah, you give your fan base something to truly enjoy, remember, soak in for the rest of time. That That is a program-defining win, and uh, hats off to Josh Heupel. I, I know, Trey, you had talked about saving the playoff conversation, maybe pushing that down the line, but I do want to ask, from no, what you've let's seen... let's live in the moment. Live in the moment, Mitch. Come well, on. from what, from what you've kidding. seen from Tennessee, <laughs> they just got ranked number three in the AP poll that came out um, a couple of hours ago. Now, we don't care about the AP poll because it changes literally every single week, and those guys, it feels like, don't even watch the games. But... Tennessee is in my personal top four right now. Do you guys see this Tennessee team finding a way to Atlanta, finding a way into the postseason? It's just impossible to say because obviously so much was poured into this game. It was circled on the calendar. And you know what? Tennessee could legitimately lose to Kentucky a team that maybe might poise different matchup problems than, than Alabama did. They could lose to Georgia in a couple of weeks. And I don't, I really don't think that takes away from this season in any way. When you were kind of a borderline top 25 team coming into the season, people were excited about what you could be in a couple of years, but not really thinking of you as a playoff contender. Can they go to Atlanta? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. They can go to Atlanta. If their offense keeps up, you know, the pace that they're playing at, if their offense can, keep scoring at will um, on some of these better defenses in the SEC, absolutely they can go to Atlanta. But they could just as easily drop a couple games to Kentucky and Georgia, and I just don't want that to take away from what this team is. Yeah, no, and I mean, this will still be a big win regardless of what happens with their season, but they're in as good of a position as anyone to make a playoff right now. You've got a massive win over a really good team. That's, you know, the resume is what keeps coming up when we come up with the, you know, the playoff committee meetings and we keep hearing, well, they just have a good resume and they pass the eye test. They have everything you need out of a playoff team. The last thing they need to do is knock out Georgia, right? So you you knock off Georgia, you stay at that level of play. You're in as good a position as anyone else in this country to make it. I personally have them as number five right now. I would still put Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Clemson above them right now. On the flip side of that, there's a lot of a lot of talk on Twitter that the tide is melting down, that these cracks that have been forming in Nick Saban's empire are, are, are starting to take over. Literally, as you guys were both talking, I have an angry Bama fan replying to one of my tweets from earlier about you know the, the penalties <laughs> not deciding this outcome, saying it absolutely did, that no one on this planet will ever, ever convince him that uh, the pass interference call on the interception didn't decide the game. Um, shout out to you, angry Bama fan for, for finding my reply. Um, guys, that was, first of all, that was textbook pass interference. I mean, 
he gets dragged down. Uh, he he drags down the uh, the, the re- or prevents the receiver from coming back to the football and then tackles him in the process. So uh, absolutely textbook pass interference. But as far as Bama goes, it's easy to pile on, right? They they haven't necessarily looked like that world beater team in a couple of games this year, right? They almost lose to Texas. They almost lose to Texas A and M. They do fall at Tennessee. Is Nick Saban's team in trouble is there something going on that that on a national landscape we should be concerned about or is this kind of Bama's one loss that they typically find and now everything's going to get right before they run to the playoff I do think that Bama as a program is starting its way down it's starting its descent I don't think that that's over I don't think the window is closed but if you look at the way that they've played right like so a Bama team maybe five or ten years ago they would drop a game but they would be right back. It would be a competitive game where the other team just came out with a great you know, game plan, and that was it. Um, the, the bigger issue here is they haven't looked nearly as competitive. They haven't looked nearly to the point where you know, I think that they, they haven't looked like the team that they have in the past, and they also haven't necessarily dominated in recruiting as much as they have in the past. And so I think that you know, this is sort of the beginning of Nick Saban's team coming back down to earth and still being good. Like he's still a great coach. You're still going to get great players, but they're starting to come back down to earth. They're starting to look beatable. They're looking mortal again. Right. So is there a chance he could still win another couple of rings? Yeah. Cause they're still a great team, but it's not going to be nearly as easy as it has in the past for them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I really struggle to make these broad a broad commentary on just a couple of instances, but it does look different. Like I, I will say it does look different. It looks like there, maybe it's just a different type of athlete that Saban has. Maybe it's a different generation of players that doesn't respond in the same way that a previous generation did to Nick Saban's coaching style. I don't know what it is. I know that he's been very public about having to treat his teams differently, especially last year. He He's been very open about, how his team last year could not handle the style of coaching that he gave previous teams. He's quoted saying that many times. So I don't know, maybe it's a different generation of kid. Maybe it's a different generation or a different style of coaching. I think his offensive coordinator is awful. And I think that would fix a lot of problems. I know they put up 49 points. That was mostly on the talent of the players on the field. It wasn't anything schematic that was willing them to 49 points. So I think a change in offensive coordinator might go a long way next year and you might start to see some of these issues go away if he gets an actual good offensive coordinator. Why why do people continue to invest in Bill O'Brien? I mean, he's just he's not good anymore. As you as you mentioned Bill though, I'll mention Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator. You gave up 52, my guy. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he he gets dogged every single week for his homeless appearance. Uh I mean, truly like one of the one one of the least professional looking coaches that I've ever seen. I unless he's like wearing a lanyard. If I'm stadium security, I have no idea he's with the team. He may not be with the team after this season. His defense has been dreadful at times this year. And I know that's one thing that Alabama fans really want to get corrected. I don't think that Alabama's in in trouble necessarily from a national perspective. I I don't know that it unless they fix their secondary that they're going to be able to win a national championship. I mean, that that is becoming more and more apparent as we go along. The offensive line, I think, has done better 
uh, I mean, Jameer Gibbs is still getting his. Bryce Young still has the ability to throw for 455. Like, that should be good enough to win games. But when the secondary is on the other side looking like Swiss cheese and giving up 500 yards passing, that's a tough look. That's Bama, Bama doesn't want to have to win shootouts. I know they can, but they don't want to have to win shootouts. You combine that with some special teams mistakes that they make and you know, it's it's very easy to see them losing another high scoring affair, whether it's to Georgia and the SEC championship game or to Ohio State down the line, what have you. This Alabama team does not look bulletproof like we've seen Crimson Tide organizations look like in the past. And, you know, that's one area where I was wrong in my preseason projection for them as my national champion. I thought Saban would have them looking kind of bulletproof. I thought this was the revenge tour 2022 and, uh, you know, it almost stumbles in Austin. It nearly stumbles at home last week against the Aggies. And then eventually they do fall in a historic game against Tennessee. So uh, a lot of ripple effects, a big butterfly effect, it feels like, on a national landscape. I mean, gosh, Tennessee recruiting is already doing really well. It feels like it's about to take another step. You know, I think they had Carnell Tate on campus, one of the top wide receivers in this class. He's committed to Ohio State right now. There's been a big push to get him to Rocky Top, and I know that a game like this, much like it did for Texas A&M, you beat Alabama at home, suddenly a lot of recruits want to go play there for you. So I think everything is trending orange and white, and uh, maybe some gut check time going on for the Crimson Tide. But we're 25 minutes into this podcast. Let's get around to some of these other matchups. TCU defends home turf against all odds against Oklahoma State. TCU wins 43-40 in double overtime. Key takeaway here for me, guys, Oklahoma State got conservative. They were up big at one point, 14-plus second-half lead, and all of a sudden we see the pitfall that gets so many coaches in this scenario. You get conservative. You stop taking your shots. You take your foot off the gas. And as a result, Oklahoma State's drives got shorter and shorter, and TCU's drives got longer and more efficient when it came to the passing game especially. Max Duggan answered the bell in the second half, and TCU not only comes back to tie it late, but then they survived the pokes in double overtime to win that game. TCU's undefeated, guys. I mean, they are currently leading the Big 12, and it feels like they're the ones that are in the driver's seat to at least secure one spot in, uh, in Dallas come December. Yeah, and, you know, Spencer Sanders, apparently we found out that he didn't practice a lot this week. I don't know if an injury started bothering him in the second half, and that's why. Separated his shoulder. Yep. Yeah, so I, I had to watch a lot of that game on mute, so I didn't get a lot of the commentary. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the conservative game plan, it almost bit Oklahoma State against Central Michigan opening weekend. It almost bit them against Baylor. And it finally came and came and got him this week. And TCU is more than capable of taking advantage of that. If you're going to hand the game to them, I will say talking about officiating, I know Garrett said he's going to have a lot to say about officiating, but that was one of the worst missed PI calls uh, that I've ever seen against. I think I texted you guys about it uh, when it happened. It just, it was just, and I don't know if the commentators even said anything about it. Like I said, it wasn't, didn't get to watch that game with sound on for a lot of it, but man, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know why you get that conservative. I don't know why you stop what's working outside of maybe a quarterback injury, just not allowing you to do that. So it definitely showed in Spencer Sanders down the stretch. But talking about the team that won the game, TCU came and took it. TCU, Max Duggan had an amazing performance in the second half. 
throwing the ball, running the ball, keeping drives alive with his legs. They looked awesome, and that offense looks fully operational. I'll say it once. I've said it again. Sonny Dykes is a problem. He's going to be a problem in the Big 12, and you're going to have to scheme around that. You're going to have to figure out how to slow down that TCU offense because no one's been able to do that so far this year. Yeah, no one has done it very effectively at the very least. You know, Colorado for maybe a little bit, but uh, then they got their uh, quarterback changed and uh, things turned out a little bit better. This was a really strange game to watch, not just because the uniforms were horrific on TCU's side. Those yeah, you should those never put, nice. never put purple and red. I know that there's you know frog bleeds out of his eyes. I was bleeding out of my eyes watching that game. That was horrible. <laughs> Um, but if you if speaking of the uniforms, if you hadn't told me any different, I would have thought the players switched uniforms at the half. This was truly like the team switched roles at the half. In the first half, you have Oklahoma State. They're out there. They're dominating both lines of scrimmage. They're knocking down passes. Max Duggan was running for his life. And then Spencer Sanders on the other side was I mean, he was balling out. He ran for two touchdowns to open that game. All of a sudden. They get to the half and everything switches. Now it's Max Duggan show and, you know, Spencer Sanders can't do anything. And he was running for his life. He, he did look a little timid. I think his shoulder was bothering him, obviously. But, you know, he looked a little bit less, you know, ready to go in a lot of that. Less, you know, wanting to, you know, start moving downfield and, and try to pick up a first down with his legs. It sure seemed like he was hurting, but that doesn't really take away from what happened down the stretch for TCU. This was a massive massive win for them they needed this win they, they needed to overcome the odds and to be able to come back like that was huge huge game again for Quentin Johnson eight catches 180 yards and another touchdown this is second week in a row he's put up I think like I think 180 is less than what he did last week too so massive numbers for him the last couple of weeks sure seems like they're finding a, a real game-breaking wide receiver there and big props to Kendra Miller for showing out as the primary running back again he's doing a great job these last several weeks you know, continuing to run the ball well, continuing to give them a great option, catching the ball out of the backfield as well. Duggan's running this TCU offense, and it's different, right? With him back there, I mentioned the Colorado game at the start of the year. This TCU offense is just different with him back there. And right now, if you had to ask me, TCU is in the driver's seat. They're the team to be. They look the best. They're passing the eye test. And it's going to be tough for anybody to come up and, and get them, especially when they're hot. Now, of course, you wouldn't hope this, but an injury could derail the season because they don't seem to have a great, you know, a, a great core outside of some of the guys directly in that core. But if those guys can stay healthy, keep playing at the level they're playing at, TCU could be looking at a real special season when none of us thought that was possible. Yeah, Oklahoma State controlled this. Uh, it was a big first half. Controlled it from the word go. I mean, very quickly out to a 14-0 lead. They go to the break. It's 24-13. TCU has just managed six points in the second quarter. Uh, kind of chalk holds there in the third quarter, but then in the fourth, Oklahoma State gets shut out, and that's when the conservative play calling really hurt them. TCU has to go for broke. They come back down 14 to force overtime. Looking at the win probability on ESPN, with six and a half minutes left, Max Duggan's pass on third and nine at the TCU nine falls incomplete. And so TCU is backed up in their own end. They've got to punt the football away. They have no choice but to punt the football away. You cannot go for it down seven. Oklahoma State's win probability, 93.7. That's the highest that it was all game. And then from that point, Oklahoma State goes three and out. Spencer Sanders gets sacked on third and 10, and it's a nosedive. Just, you can literally see as TCU claims the Pokes' soul in this game, Obviously, Max Duggan leads a, a fantastic final drive. 
couple of penalties, throws a, a touchdown pass to, to get everything tied up. And then, you know, at that point, it felt inevitable that the Horned Frogs were going to find a way to win this in overtime. Oklahoma State gets backed up to like first and 25 in the second overtime, has no chance to do anything but kick a field goal. And uh, TCU scores relatively easily there to, to salt that away. So for TCU, um, I tell you what, this this is this is an interesting point in the story because for the Big 12, once you lost Texas, once you lost Oklahoma, and, and, and Baylor wasn't really going to be uh, a deep postseason contender, specifically over the last couple of weeks where they found a way to lose three games, Oklahoma State, it felt like they were your one chance to get the Big 12 into the playoff now, we've got to start talking about TCU being a dark horse playoff contender. I mean, they're undefeated. Yeah, we were just overlooking them because they were a smaller program and because we didn't have any real expectations for the preseason. We just kind of overlooked them. But, you know, here they are. And I, I think they also had the early bias, so they didn't have the the number of wins, and so we weren't paying attention to them as much as we were maybe with Oklahoma State or Kansas. But you really have to start talking about the fact that this team is built to compete at that high level and assuming that they can run, I think we get this game as a rematch in the Big 12 championship game. I think these two are the best teams right now in the conference. And, you know, we'll see what happens there, obviously. But, you know, if they can run this gauntlet and find a way to sneak into a playoff, I mean, this team is built the right way. You know, like y'all were saying at the top of the show with a good quarterback, you know, some playmakers to make things happen, you know, opportunistic defense. This team could make a little bit of no I'm not saying I'm predicting him to beat Ohio State, right? I'm not saying that. But this team could do some stuff if they make it to a playoff and they could have a real special season, especially compared to where they were coming into the year. Yeah, and gauntlet is the right word for the next month of their schedule. It's Kansas State at home next week at West Virginia, who looked like a completely different team on Thursday night, sure. taking on Baylor. Um Texas Tech at home in a game that tech has circled on the calendar. Um, dating back to the offseason and then a road trip down to Austin uh, to close out that four game stretch. So we're going to find out really quickly if TCU is for real, if they can run that gauntlet, if everybody can stay healthy. Absolutely. They're a contender and I, they'll be in Arlington in December. But it's uh, I'm just really struggling to buy in. I want to see I want to hold out just a little bit longer until this gauntlet gets going. They have they're built the right way, though. Like you guys have said, Max Duggan is playing. He's kind of like a poor man's hen and hooker right now in the Big 12. So he's he's kind of they're kind of built the same way as Tennessee, where doing just enough on defense but having an offense that nobody can stop right now. Which is a wild comparison when you think about it, especially considering Max Duggan wasn't even the starter when this season began. Yeah. I mean, it took I mean, Hen and Hooker Morris. wasn't the starter last year at Tennessee yeah. when the season began. So very lots true. of parallels. I, I one one last note on Tennessee. I, I saw I think it was was it Bum Chillips that that tweeted and he was like well at least virginia tech found a, a quarterback better than hinden hooker so it worked out for everybody right and hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness that is so far, far from the truth poor virginia tech um i don't know that we're going to mention them today oklahoma state's remaining uh calendar home against texas at kansas state at kansas home against iowa state at oklahoma home against west virginia so the Big 12, man, they're backloading their schedules. It, it makes for a lot of entertaining football going down the stretch. It makes me wonder if the Big 12 is going to cannibalize themselves out of a playoff berth once again. Um, but, you know, then again, we'll we'll wait and see on that. So 
hat tip to, to the Horn Frogs. I don't know that a lot of people gave them a real chance. Uh, although I know game day, I think three or four of them picked TCU. So maybe it was just us that we were all on the pokes um, in, in that game. They did. TCU was the Vegas favorite also. I think yes, they, they were, were four point favorites at the kick. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they definitely were. I think the majority of the money was on the pokes, but TCU was, uh, was the betting favorite. And uh, I don't, what was it? It was a three, three point game. Yeah. Three point game. So they covered, they covered for us. Um, that, that Oklahoma state plus three and a half was, was just perfect. Uh, Utah 43 USC 42. What a game this was. And, and I didn't get to watch all of this. I caught most of the fourth quarter. If you didn't see, or if you've just seen pictures on Twitter, Utah was rocking some custom hand, hand painted helmets, honoring Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan couple of their former teammates who both tragically passed away in a couple of separate accidents over the last two years. Um, it was just an awesome environment. There was a lot going on to honor those fallen players. And then on top of the fact that you're hosting a top seven at that point, USC team, everything came together for Utah. Last night, Cam Rising played inspired 445 yards through the air, two touchdowns plus he ran three more in. He has the game ceiling two point conversion at the end, which kudos for Kyle Whittingham pulling the trigger on that. I mean, it it felt like it felt like if you go for the two point conversion, you drive the nail through USC's heart, and Cam Rising's able to get it done. Caleb Williams, three hundred eighty one yards through the air, five touchdowns. I know a lot of OU fans are clowning him for you know shedding a tear, just being emotionally distraught as he was walking off the field. Um, to you guys, I would say be better. Uh, let's, let's not, uh, let, let's not drag, drag a player down to your level there on Twitter, but uh, can't certainly can't take away from just an awesome scene that we saw in Salt Lake city last night. Yeah. And credit the Utah offense for rising to the occasion, no pun intended, but, uh, they, they really took care of business against USC, a USC defense that I think is vulnerable. We've kind of highlighted that. That's definitely been our cause for pause on USC and being all in. But USC's offense showed up and came to play. And Utah's defense that we were really excited about in the preseason, again, didn't necessarily show that they were worthy of that kind of praise in the preseason. So back-to-back weeks where the defense really struggled, this time Utah's offense was able to come through. And I totally agree. Great call by Kyle Whittingham reading that situation and putting all the pressure back on USC because – Personally, I think USC would have been able to drive and kick a field goal if they would have just kicked an extra point. Yeah, Putting the pressure on them really changed that game. And man, that again, just another amazing environment. We might have set a record for most field storming events in a Saturday. Uh, we got another one with Utah Saturday night and just a stadium that looked like a European soccer game at times. They would pan the crowd and everyone's wearing black and there's all these big flags waving in the stadium. So. Amazing scene. Gary, Utah Utes, are we back on the bandwagon? Are we running the train again? What are you feeling right now? See, I want to, but it seems like they play the best when I don't believe in them. So I, it, it might be for the best for the team if I stay off the bandwagon. I, I don't want to. I really do like them. This is the Utah th- team that I thought we were going to get from game one. And I really wish we had seen this team the way that they played last night with that energy, with that focus, that togetherness. I wish we had been able to see that all year because it would have been really fun to see what this season could have been if they had done that. 
With that being said, again, emotional environment. Glad that they got this last night for their guys. It, a loss would have kind of soured it a little bit. It wouldn't have soured the tribute, obviously, but it would have been a little worse if they hadn't been able to come out on top of it. This was a win that Utah needed, both as a program and, and just for this season. Cam Rising, again, like you guys are talking about, out of his mind last night. The defense struggled, but again, opportunistic, right? Make the plays when you have to. Um, and again, this is a really good USC offense, so I'm not going to knock them too much. They have struggled as a unit, but this was one of the better offenses in the country. You did enough to win, so good for y'all. You know, on the Trojan side, got to clean up the penalties. I think I saw they had something like, you know, 90-something yards in penalties. Got to be able to clean that up uh, going forward. But now with one loss, you know, the Pac-12, I think they're down to UCLA as their only real hope at a playoff. You know, uh, this is not the way that I think any of us saw it going out west, but I think that's kind of where we are right now with these teams. It's it's interesting to see how the Pac-12 is moving forward as a conference, and yet, you know, you have these games that that USC we 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 predicted that they would drop a game or two in this fashion. Now, I don't know that we necessarily thought that Utah would be out of a playoff contention by this point. Obviously not. If you if you listen to Garrett and I, um, but it, it's just. It's, it's kind of head-scratching, right? Like, Lincoln Riley, like so many of these coaches, seems to have one of these games where just out of nowhere, the offense will continue to hum, but the defense cannot get a stop. And last night, I think that might have had more to do with the environment than anything. That was such an emotionally charged ball game that it, it felt like USC was walking into a trap, you know, the entire night. And I think more of this is a hat tip to Utah in their ability to win on a special night rather than, you know, dragging USC for, for losing this game. You just got beat flat out. You, you got beat. I know they had some issues with the penalties. They cost themselves, uh, you know, at, at some, at some bad times, Caleb Wilson had a couple of, or Caleb Wilson, Caleb Williams had a couple of bad throws in that contest, but overall Utah rose to the occasion to me more than than USC kind of fell or, or took a step back, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was looking for a nice way of saying the emotions kind of carried Utah to win. Disney couldn't have written a better script than that game Absolutely. last night for Utah. And I do wonder if in a different situation, if everything, you know, all else being equal, if USC doesn't come on top in a different situation, but obviously what happened happened and so i'm not trying to take any away anything away from utah like you said mitch credit to them for rising to that occasion and usc just looks like they're not quite ready to put the final nail in the coffin when that comes to that situation yeah and on the penalty front i was only mentioning that to say yeah there were a lot of penalties i gotta clean it up moving forward that probably was more often like what we said with uh, Alabama and Tennessee, that the crowd forced some of that, right? When you have that much energy and you have that much going against you just in terms of what the moment is and it's, you know, at night and everything else, you know, that that's there's only so much you can do to overcome that. And you're going to lose your focus and you're going to, you know, make some mistakes and you would just hope that it wouldn't cost you. If you're the Trojans, you'd hope it wouldn't cost you like it did. But, you know, that's that's why you play the game. And that's that's what ended up happening. Thank God that USC is moving to the Big Ten in a couple of years because I just don't think Lincoln Riley wants the smoke of that grind of the Pac-12 South. So thank <laughs> goodness that they're going to be gone for the Big Ten. That's right. Col hey, Colorado picked up a win yesterday. It's, Absolutely, it's yeah. Getting, they rushed the field too. Field rushes getting, everywhere. That's right. It's getting tougher <laughs> by the day. Uh, guys, question for you. Why is Blake Corum not, not currently the Heisman favorite? 
Uh, Michigan Michigan drubs Penn State yesterday, 41-17. His odds after rushing, he carried the ball 28 times, 166 yards, two touchdowns, and his odds go from plus 1,600 to plus 1,200. That's it. That's the only the only movement, according to uh, my my very cursory Google search of, of Heisman odds before we hit record. I mean, Why? I, I I think it's kind of because Michigan is still flying under the radar a little bit. They had this really soft, Charmin soft start to the schedule where no one was really giving them any credit. Then they kind of had a couple sleepy 11 a.m. victories against Iowa and Indiana. And then this week was kind of their big first big showcase, but unfortunately i think it's going to get overshadowed by everything else i think his odds might be better if he would have done it in a game where their defense didn't just completely shut penn state down because everybody um i mean this game was close at halftime but no one was still watching this game after the third quarter right like i i think that third quarter michigan just runs away with it the defense was the story for me the defense in the running game because quorum and donovan edwards also was amazing in this game they combined for 339 yards and all four Michigan touchdowns on the other side of the ball. I thought Michigan's defense was going to create a little bit more havoc. I thought they'd have more sacks and tackles for loss They had two sacks. I think like six tackles for loss throughout the game, but really they just played sound fundamental defense and Penn state couldn't do anything. Sean Clifford ran the ball well while he was in there before he got hurt uh, six carries for 74 yards, but that was about it. You take that out. Um, 2.3 yards per carry for Penn State um, outside of those Sean Clifford runs. And in throwing the ball, they only uh, they only averaged 5.4 yards per attempt. So just nothing that Penn State could do. They scored 10 offensive points. They had one of the weirdest pick sixes, uh, just an awful, awful pick six that J.J. Uh, McCarthy threw. But other than that, it was all Michigan. Yeah, this is kind of that other team like you guys are talking about off the top with – you know, you have to have a good quarterback. You have to be able to play opportunistic defense. This is sort of the antithesis, right? Michigan, they're playing the good defense. They're going to shut you down. They're going to run the football. They're going to control the clock. And and that's just what they want to do. Uh, first off, want to shout out again, Teddy Moore getting married a couple days ago. Got the win for Michigan. Um, so congratulations to you. Not spoiling your weekend that way. Go Blue. Um, Blake Corum, he's on a different level right now. He's going to make an NFL team very, very happy. Statistically, he wasn't even the best running back on the squad. Technically, Donovan Edwards both had more, you know, rushing yards, and it was a better, you know, rushes per attempt or yards per attempt. Um, and so that's great. Donovan Edwards finally got a chance to show out. Good for him. But man, Michigan now, I think they're in a great spot to sort of look at the playoff for a second year in a row and to say, hey, look, with Bama with a loss now. And with the way the rest of everything's breaking, there's a real opportunity for them to make that happen. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone's going to pay real attention to Michigan until the last game of the season. I just kind of think they're going to keep getting overlooked. They're going to say, well, yeah, you should have beaten them. And now, especially with you know Michigan State being as bad as they are, they're going to get overlooked when they go and beat them too. So I just think they're not going to get any real credit. And then they're going to show up at the end of the season probably undefeated saying, well, you know, why aren't we getting all the hype? Where is our you know, super high ranking, you know, and, and they're still going to be ranked high, but I don't think they're getting as respected as they need to be. This team has a real shot at knocking off Ohio State just based on the type of game that they play, right? And, and so, again, I don't want to get too much into the the future projections here, but 
Michigan's a very good team. They showed that to us once again. Penn State might have just been pretenders, right? It might have just been that Penn State didn't really play anybody very good. And so coming into this game, it was a little bit of fool's gold. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think Penn State's a decent squad, and Michigan just showed what they do to decent squads. You know, Penn State, they're they're okay. They've played really well against some teams. Again, going to Jordan-Hare and putting up massive numbers there. I think Penn State's moving in the right direction as a program, but this game is all about Michigan, how they're still at the top, and how they still have a chance at something really special here. Yeah, for, for Michigan, their remaining schedule... They've got Michigan State this next week. Uh, I'm sorry, after a bye uh, at Rutgers versus Nebraska, home against Illinois, which we'll talk about Illinois in just a minute. They're on a crusade. Do we uh, reach the Big Ten championship game as that champion out of the West, them and Purdue, and then at Ohio State, which, gosh, they haven't won in Columbus in, in years. It's It's been a very, very long time. I can't remember the exact year, but that'll be that will be the – one of the games of the year, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, on one of the best sportsing weekends of the entire calendar as well. I'm hoping that we get an 11-0 Michigan and an 11-0 Ohio State because not only do I want that game to be fantastic, but Trey, you're right. Uh, I'm sorry, Garrett, you're right. When you mentioned Bama losing, we've never really con- considered another conference getting two teams in the playoff other than the SEC, and it feels like they do that every single year. I wonder if we are maybe setting it up to where the Big Ten is the second conference to enter that discussion. Now, obviously, it does us really no good to discuss that in length here today, recapping Week 7, but I think it would be a really fun wrinkle when we get to Week 12, if that's the case. So we'll, we'll, we'll watch this space. More to come on, on that, no doubt. Yeah, uh, just one more thing on Michigan. They ran for 418 yards as a team. Like, I just don't want to gloss over yeah, that's, uh, that statistic. Seven yards. yards per carry. That's, that's a disgusting amount of yards. Against, Penn State was the fifth best team defending the rush coming in. And um, they, they will no longer no be in longer. the top five. Just category. kidding. Yeah. So, interesting interesting to see that, that Penn State just got blown off the football all day yesterday. Um, I do think they're trending in the right direction. Certainly as opposed to the Penn State team that we've seen struggle in the last couple of years. But gosh, Michigan Michigan dominated them. Uh, last game to really mention, Kentucky-Mississippi State, the Wildcats. Go Big Blue. They win 27-17 over Mississippi State. Tell you what, the Bulldogs had just been able to put up points at will. They were chucking the ball all over the lot. And then Kentucky is the team that knocks them off. I mean, at least with LSU... You've seen LSU kind of prove that they're a decent squad. Kentucky's been going the wrong way. And all of a sudden, they come out and surprise Mike Leach in, in company. Yeah, I had said, where was Utah in all of this? Where was this Kentucky team all year? Right, This is the team we thought coming into the year had a chance to go maybe 10-2 and two and possibly knock off Georgia for the East. Forget about that. Where was this Kentucky team? They looked dominant. They looked strong. They looked like they dominated both lines of scrimmage. They were the better team pretty much in all phases. This was disappointing for the Bulldogs. You know, it seems like Leach sets himself up for one of these a year where, you know, there's just kind of a, okay, well, we got that one out of the way. That was ugly. We didn't show up to that one. So hopefully, you know, Mississippi State can kind of bounce back from this. But 
more than that, I hope the Wildcats can start to capitalize on this and maybe make a, a little bit of noise in this last half of the season, salvage a decent record, you know, maybe upset a Tennessee, upset a, you know, Georgia, someone like that, and, and have a real chance to, to make a little bit of noise on the end of the season. Yeah, and, you know, everyone doubting Will Levis after the last couple of weeks, just look at the difference in how this offense worked with him there this week versus without him there. And I know the first half was ugly it was three to three at halftime and Kentucky didn't score their field goal until I think there were like 40 seconds left in the first half so a really ugly start to the game but credit this Wildcat defense for not just shutting down the Mississippi State offense but really shutting down and kind of putting a stop to this talk about Mike Leach being able to really run the ball well I think they had a different game plan than a lot of teams, they really committed to stopping the run. And Mississippi State just could not run the ball. They ran for only 22 yards the entire game. So that was a huge difference. And Mississippi State looked so good on offense and almost unstoppable on offense because, you know, against AM, against uh, Arkansas last week, they're getting five, six, seven yards per carry on first down every time. So credit Kentucky. They relied on their athletic secondary, they devoted bodies to stopping the run. And it worked out for them. They gave a different blueprint blueprint to stopping this uh, Mike Leach air raid. Yeah, it makes me sad to see that Kentucky was able to come in and stop the run after Arkansas A&M, you mentioned it. Uh, even LSU, to, to some extent, struggled to stop that run early. Um, it can be done. It can be done. It just takes a, a creative scheme. And yeah, Kentucky relying on their secondary to allow them to, to stuff the box and, and take away the running game. And it worked out for them. All right, let's whip around the rest of the conferences to hit some of the major games here in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes that we have left on this podcast. Let's start in the ACC where we had a couple of really good games, uh, beginning with Clemson and FSU. Clemson 34, Florida State 28. Tell you what, Florida State desperately tried to come back. They were down 14, or they were down, uh, well, they were down by three scores at the start of the fourth quarter. They scored 14 points in a comeback effort. It fell just shy. Clemson, to me, the X factor here, they had two sacks, nine tackles for loss, six more quarterback hurries of Jordan Travis that just really eliminated any sort of explosiveness from FSU's offense until late in that game when they were desperately trying to claw back. Clemson continues to strengthen their resume as one of the best teams in the country. Now, DJ Uyunglele didn't blow anybody away. Uh, just over 200 yards passing, but he didn't make any critical mistakes. And for me, that was what we've been asking for in the preseason and all season leading up to this point is you don't necessarily have to go throw for 400 yards, but just don't get stagnant and don't turn the ball over at the wrong time. He avoided those uh, those bugaboos, and uh, as a result, Clemson picks up a, a really impressive road win, in my estimation, down in Tallahassee. Yeah, Clemson really dominated the middle eight minutes of the game, the last four minutes of the second quarter, first four minutes of the third quarter. It was, you know, going into that, it was a tie game, 14-14. Clemson gets a field goal. Florida State fumbles the ball, and Clemson immediately cashes that in with a touchdown. And then Clemson has a big play coming right out of the half, a big uh, big kickoff return, and then a one-play scoring drive to kind of put that game away. It's 31-14. And then, obviously, Florida State started furiously coming back towards the end that fell just short. But, yeah, it was really that middle portion of the game. Clemson capitalizing on Florida State, kind of blinking first. 
and then just kind of running away from there. Yeah, and let's not negate the fact that this was a tough road win for Clemson, that they still had to go on the road and beat a team who's pretty good. They're a pretty good team. Anytime you do that, hostile environment, pretty good team, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I do think Clemson now has probably the best shot of anybody to make the playoffs just based on what they have left on the schedule. Uh, you know, if you're Georgia, you still got to play Tennessee. If you're, you know, maybe UCLA, you've still got USC. You know, TCU, we were just talking about that gauntlet there. You know, anybody else from, you know, SEC or even the Big Ten with Ohio State and Michigan, they have to play each other. So, you know, if you're just looking across the landscape, Clemson kind of got through their tough part of their schedule, and they're as primed as anyone to go to the playoff right now. Let's go to JMA Wireless, the Carrier Dome, rest in peace. Uh is as upset you might be about the name change, you are not upset if you are a Syracuse Orange fan. You're six and zero for the first time since 1987. The Orange win 24 to nine over NC State. The big news item to set the stage for this game was that Devin Leary, quarterback of the NC State Wolfpack, uh, was done for the year. Had season-ending surgery on his shoulder this past week. They had to start a backup. And that offense just never got going. Syracuse's offense, not exactly explosive. I think Garrett Schrader only threw for 200 yards passing, but that's not necessarily their calling card. Their calling card is defense and running the football with Sean Tucker just well enough to be able to outscore you. And that's exactly what they did to the Wolfpack. The Syracuse uh, Orange are going bowling. And I tell you what, we were talking about Dino Babers getting fired potentially during the preseason he might earn himself a contract extension with his start. Yeah, and I mean, obviously devastated for Devin Leary and not being able to finish this season. I think this is going to be one of those seasons where NC State looks back and just says, what happened, right? Yep. You know, like we, we had expectations, we thought this was good, and everything just melted down. And, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty gutted for them and for their fans. But to talk about the winners, look, Syracuse, this didn't answer any questions for me, unfortunately. You know, the whole graphic, is Syracuse good? I still don't know, right? I still don't know if this is just the fact that NC State was down and continued playing down, or if Syracuse is actually good. But it doesn't matter if they're good. They're six and zero, and they get to play in a bowl game. So uh, good for them. You know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. So they might be the luckiest team right now in college football. I, I don't know how good they are, but maybe they are good. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. Like we highlighted on the preview show this week, a brutal stretch to close, but. Credit them for winning this one. I, I thought something weird would happen in this game. I'm really sad that the weird thing was finding out that Devin Leary's out for the season. But yeah, you hate to see that for NC State. But Syracuse being bowl eligible and having a shot at a really fun close is really exciting and something that none of us saw coming. Last game to mention in the ACC, other than Miami 20, Virginia Tech 14, I that was an ugly, ugly. game. We're, we're not going to oh, talk yeah. about it. Um, AC, the only note that I have on that, ACC Network literally hid that game on like the ACC Network Plus. The, the flagship ACC Network channel was running um, like featured programming instead of publishing that game. So they had like the, a story of like the 1991 NC State Wolfpack ACC Championship team and another featured programming going on. It, it literally did not exist on the flagship network, which was 
hilarious. Although I do think they kind of spared the American public because that was a brutal game to watch. I was going to say, realistically, that's probably what both Miami and Virginia Tech fans wanted was to yeah. not have to watch that game. Just, you know, just make yeah. it as hard for me to feel bad as I can. Right? Yeah, Miami just, and Virginia just, Tech to the Big Ten West confirmed. Uh, in <laughs> the uh, UNC does beat Duke 38-35. Duke nearly came back at the end. It was a furious comeback from Mike Elko and the boys. Uh, Drake May continues to throw for all the yards. He threw for 380 and three touchdowns. And I, I tell you what, you know, Duke gave a great effort, but that offense in the end, just a little bit too much on the UNC side, certainly feels like the Blue Devils are heading in the right direction, though. Definitely. They're missing something from their offense. I don't think they quite have all the pieces they need, but, you know, give them a good season, a little bit of life, and a maybe a decent recruiting class. And, you know, we'll see what can happen with Duke. And, you know, I also think they could be a big transfer candidate this year with, you know, the way that they've worked and see some guys maybe transfer in to, to help kind of bolster that squad. But at the end of the day, look, UNC, they can score whatever they want to whenever they want to. So, uh, you know, good for them. Drake May just continues to impress. Uh, I'm really excited to see how his progression goes, especially not even just this year, but as we go forward into his career. Yeah, it was really a fun back and forth game through most of this game. And Duke missed a field goal with about two minutes left that could have put them up sevens where it just would have been a tying touchdown. But yeah, just a really fun back and forth rivalry game. Another crowd situation that was a lot of fun, albeit on a smaller scale at Duke. But yeah, really fun game to watch. And the last play to seal it for North Carolina was awesome touchdown catch. All right, let's go to the Big Ten. Um, four games here to mention. Maryland 38, Indiana 33. The only note here, Indiana becomes the first program to lose 700 games in their football history, Oof. which is just a brutal programming note there. Uh, Michigan State 34, Wisconsin 28 in double overtime. I didn't really watch much of that game, did not care to watch much of that game. Nope. So if you want Michigan State, Wisconsin highlights, we'll direct you over to YouTube. The two games that we do want to mention very quickly, Illinois 26, Minnesota 14, and then Purdue 43, Nebraska 37, not necessarily because of Minnesota and Nebraska, but because of the two teams in the Big Ten West that are on a collision course, baby, for a right to play in in Indianapolis, just as we all projected, the Illinois Fighting Illini and the Purdue Spoiler Makers. Now, Trey, you were high on Purdue in the preseason None of us joined you in making those boils, but I tell you what, you are just a couple of games away and a date on November 12th away from being right about them in the Big Ten West. My faith has really been put to the test in this early season. The The Penn State game almost broke me. The Syracuse game did break me. I had sure. definitely ditched uh, any hope in the Boilermakers. But yeah, all of a sudden, that close doesn't look that scary. At Wisconsin, Iowa at home, and then that collision course game against Illinois that you talked about in Champaign, but then closing out the season at home against Northwestern at Indiana. I think nine and three is the floor unless something crazy happens and Aiden O'Connell gets hurt or something like that. But yeah, I think the main game I'd be concerned about is that in Illinois game. Uh, the other ones all there for the taking for the Boilermakers. Yeah, but Trey, this is the shadow realm. They're going to finish 0-5 just because we said this, right? There's any expectations on them, and it's all down the, the down the crapper, right? It's all gone. So, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I hope that these teams get a big matchup. It would be fun to see a big matchup in a few weeks and, you know, have like real stakes on it. I just kind of don't believe that we get there. I just kind of think that we're going to get to a point where, you know, one of these teams drops two games and, you know, they're straight out of it. But then whoever's down is going to be the team that ends up winning that matchup and spoiling it for the other one. So I don't believe in the Big Ten West. I refuse to believe in the Big Ten West. Y'all can have fun with whatever that is, and I'll just watch the chaos with a bag of popcorn. So. I tell you what, Illinois look good. Uh, they beat Minnesota by by twelve yesterday. Uh, old Bert, he knows what it takes to win in the Midwest, and they shut down uh, Minnesota's rushing attack. They're able they they controlled that game from the very get go. They took the lead early on, never relinquished it. I really like what the Fighting Illini are doing there. Tommy DeVito is just enough of a playmaker at quarterback where they can hit some big plays down the field, and then Chase Brown. He's a monster on the ground. He caught a big touchdown pass through the air yesterday as well on the wheel route. Uh, he is one of the most unsung heroes in all of college football. I think if he is in any other brand name program, if he's even out of Michigan or uh, you know somewhere in the ACC, you're you're hearing about Chase Brown each and every week. But because he plays for Illinois, you just don't get a lot of Chase Brown highlights. So I think that's that's the the, the travesty in all this. I'll, I'll say that I, I think because he is so good and because I like the story of Bielema kind of resurrecting his career in Illinois, I'm rooting for the fighting Atlanta. I would love to see them in Indianapolis uh, come that big 10 championship game. Now they probably get their, the brakes beat off of them by Michigan or Ohio state, but Hey, I mean, you, you get to, you get to go there. It's, it's a free trip to, uh, to Indianapolis and maybe it may be a chance at a New Year's Six Bowl game, depending on how things break out. You, you never know. So uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for Illinois there. Over to the SEC, uh, let's run down these headlines real fast. Ole Miss 48, Auburn 34, Arkansas 52, BYU 35. LSU beats Florida by 10, 45-35 in a shootout in the swamp. And then Georgia, I mean, just curb stops Vandy 55 to nothing. Garrett, do you have a game out of those SEC matchups that, that really stuck out to you? Well, kind of two of them. First off, Georgia did Georgia things and Vandy did Vandy things on the same field, and that was just not a recipe for success if you're a fan of the Commodores. So uh, good for Georgia to keep that thing rolling. I'm starting to wonder if Brian Harson is doing what he's doing on purpose just to torture Auburn fans, because at this point in the season, I think we all expected him to be fired just after losing too many games and being gone. And he's staying just competitive enough, but not in front of their own fans. So I'm almost wondering if he's doing it on purpose. How could you possibly be that bad of a coach at home against teams that are bad like Mizzou, but then stay competitive with the high-scoring Ole Miss team the next week? It, it confuses me. And so the only explanation I have is that Harson is trying to get back at all the all the people that tried to screw him over back in the summer. And the buyout that he has makes it worth it for him to do that, right? He could get paid millions yep. of dollars to, to not coach. So, I mean, you can't blame the guy for trying. <laughs> um, that LSU-Florida game was really fun. Florida yeah. had a furious comeback at the end that just kind of fell short, and their defense just looked kind of gassed. Uh, Arkansas's offense, back with full force with K.J. Jefferson back, and that was really cool to see. KJ Jefferson has returned three for 367 and five touchdowns, and Raheem Sanders ran for 175. So just everything was clicking in Provo for the Razorbacks. For for KJ, that clip of him shaking like five tackles in the backfield and then completing a pass, 
was was just insane. He retweeted that clip saying, yo, I lift weights. Shout out to our strength and conditioning staff. Um, <laughs> Arkansas looked more physical than BYU. And, uh, you know, I, I think initially in the preseason, we wondered if that could happen. We just thought that Arkansas would be so gassed by this point in the season that BYU would have the advantage at home. And I tell you what, Arkansas, after a couple of rough weeks, looked renewed, they looked rejuvenated, and they came out and they they made a statement against the Cougars. So love the direction that they're traveling. LSU, Florida, there was not a inkling of defense to be seen, especially in the first half. It was 21 to 21, literally in the blink of an eye. And uh, I, I tell you what, I mean, Jaden Daniels, he, he did what he needed to do yesterday. Three rushing touchdowns in addition to a couple through the air. Um, that Florida defense, they were just on the field all night. They just could not get off. And I know it's an intimidating place to play at home, but gosh, when your defense can't can't prevent the chains from moving, guys, we watched that in person a couple of weeks ago, it's really, really hard to win, no matter what the offensive output of your opponent is. Um, one, one other note on the SEC, I literally just saw this on Twitter, Tennessee football's official football account has tweeted out a GoFundMe link to help replace the goalposts. Stop. Are you kidding me, Tennessee? Stop. What are you doing? Pony up the cost for your own goalposts. I was I was kind of I was really annoyed with all the Alabama fans calling Tennessee a poverty program, you know, uh for rushing the field, <laughs> but goodness, that is that is not an elite because... program mood. Um they also probably need to add in the checkerboard. Um, yeah. apparently some Tennessee fans were taking pieces of the checkerboard end zone home as souvenirs. So yeah, that, that, that's another thing that you can throw into that GoFundMe. The the quote basically asks, you know, you remember when we hauled down the goalpost and beat Bam and da, 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 and I quote, anywho, turns out that in order to play next week's game, we need goalposts on our field. Could y'all help us out? Question mark with a praying hands emoji in quote, what a tweet. If they can't afford new goalposts, how are they going to extend Hypel? They they need to extend them now. If they can't afford goalposts, what are they doing? Like, start calling around. Time to go find the NIL fund and you know yeah. redirect it or something. I don't know what they need. Yeah. But. I'm that's sure fun. that's in jest and just for a funny Twitter laugh. But sure, yeah, sure. It, yeah, maybe they don't have the money because they did extend Josh Hypel, and that's about. Maybe that's money. what it is. Yeah. Well, Jeremy Pruitt gave it all away in McDonald's bags a couple of years ago. Remember that? Um, <laughs> yeah, ten- Tennessee's in, in a spot of financial uh, bother, perhaps. The other the other note, Tennessee is still due for some sort of postseason ban because of the Jeremy Pruitt uh, stuff that, that transpired a couple of years ago. So I saw one tweet first thing this morning. It was like, wouldn't it be just peak NCAA if they announced the postseason ban for this year? Uh, which that would be beyond cruel. There's no way they I, actually oh, handle that. Handle that. Keep that in the pipeline. That is still coming down the tracks at some point. So I, it may have to be. It may be self-imposed by Tennessee eventually. That which obviously would not affect this year. But the NCAA still does have that right to exercise that option. So all the Tennessee fans are just like, is that the Jaws music? Yeah. No, no kidding. Um, all right, Pac-12, let's be honest, nobody really cared about any of these games, but we're going to mention them anyway. Colorado, they're off the schneid. Welcome <laughs> to the final FBS team to win a college football game this year. You win in overtime 20-13 to 13 over Cal. You rush the field. God bless you if you were in the stadium for this game. I don't think there were very many people. Washington holds on over Arizona 49-39. 
Stanford beats Notre Dame. Are you kidding me? The drought is over. Stanford wins over an FBS team for the first time in nearly a calendar year. No, over a year. Over a year. It was 376 days. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Over this Notre Dame team, like, that struggled out of the gate, 0-3, that picked it up, was was kind of becoming a trendy pick to at least you know be in the top 25 and a feel-good story after Mark Marcus Freeman rallies the troops. They beat BYU in Vegas, and then they lose to Stanford. My goodness, just an, an odd scene there. And then the chainsaws of Oregon State win over Wazoo 24-10. Trey, I think it's officially time to pronounce time of death on... Washington State's offense. The Cam Ward dream, I, I think, is dead. We were hoping that he would just, you know, go in and, and throw for a thousand yards every single week, and that has not been the case whatsoever. The Cougars cannot score. Nope. It's a problem. And I think any game that they win going forward, it's you're gonna be talking about their defense, uh, really carrying them. Yikes. Just like we have all year. Every every game that they've won, it's been, wow, their defense really stepped up. And their offense, maybe if they get it going, they'll be dangerous. But, yeah, time, dead, time of death is definitely October 15th, 2022. Give them their last rights. Yeah, going back to Notre Dame, though, for a second, they've got to turn things around quick or else you know that big recruiting class they're counting on to help kind of fill the pipeline is about to be over. Um, that there's a real chance that they could, you know, kind of turn that around and, you know, with a good recruiting class, get back on top of things. But man, things are looking kind of rough for them right now. And they, they need to find a way to turn it around on the last half of the season. All right, guys, let's wrap it up with the big 12 and a couple of group of five notes here. West Virginia stuns Baylor in Morgantown on a Thursday Mm -hmm. night, 43, 40 Blake Shapin knocked out of that game with a concussion. My boy, Kyron Drones, came in and uh, at least led led a comeback for Baylor. He gave him a chance to win, but ultimately the defense can't get some critical stops. Baylor drops their third game. They haven't won in Morgantown in a number of years. I believe they're 0-3 now in their last three tries. Um, just kind of, kind of confusing to see how this Baylor team oscillates between really pretty solid and maybe approaching last year's form and then just struggling to, to even you know, secure a secure a win against a, a much less talented team. Let's be honest. The offense for West Virginia, very, very solid. The defense has been shaky all year long, and the fact that they couldn't find a way to win that, a, a little bit concerning. Oklahoma, they get off the, the struggle bus. They win 52-42 to 42 over Kansas. I'm sure we can mention a, a stat or two there. And then Texas, 24-21 over Iowa State. Uh, Trey Dylan Gabriel throws for 403 in his return. Eric Gray rushes for a, a buck 76. Tough scene though for for Kansas. They lose Kobe Bryant. The injuries have not been kind to the Jayhawks this year, and it kind of feels like the Jayhawk dream of doing something really special this year is is maybe dead as well. Yeah, the bullbound dream definitely isn't dead. Although we highlighted the close, I think last week the close yeah. of their schedule is really really tough. I think. They've really got to beat a reeling Baylor team this week to feel great about their chances. Um, the end of their schedule is just very, very difficult. But yeah, the injury bug has just really bit them a couple weeks in a row now. But on the other side of the ball, maybe Oklahoma fans are starting to breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. Now, their defense still has a ton of problems. They came up with a couple opportunistic turnovers, but Kansas moved the ball pretty much at will for most of this game. But it's amazing what happens when you get your starting quarterback back. And Dylan Gabriel is talented enough to lead Oklahoma to some wins that they wouldn't get otherwise. 
yeah, they need to hire some private, you know, security for Dylan Gabriel, make sure he's okay. Cause without him, they are just anemic. Um, but look, Kansas, it, it's, it looks like it's coming to an end. Like you were saying without Jalen Daniels, no Daniel Highshaw, right now, Kobe Bryant leaving. That's, it's a rough scene for them, but let's keep our, you know, perspective this way. If we were saying that, man, I'm disappointed in Kansas because they may not be able to get past five wins. Yeah. At the beginning of the season, we'd all be like, wait, five wins for Kansas. That sounds wonderful, right? Yeah. So let's keep it in perspective. Good things are happening, right? There's still a lot of good happening, and they can still make a bowl game. You could still finish with a bowl game. Depending on who you draw, you could get a bowl win. I still think there's a couple wins left to be had on the conference schedule. Sure. So good for them. Keep working at it. Tough game. Bounce back. Uh, Texas beats Iowa State 24-21. This is a scrappy game that I was surprised Iowa State held a, held their own as closely as they did. Now that line of like 17 and a half in some places in favor of the horns was ludicrous. Uh, and I don't know how much money actually came in on the Texas side of that. So I expected Iowa state to cover, but um, I did not expect them to have a chance to legitimately win this game. Honestly, Hunter Deckers, he threw a couple of bad picks, but a chance to win that game late. If Xavier Hutchinson, who had a phenomenal day, if he doesn't inexplicably jump, for a wide open go route down the field at like the 15 yard line on the final drive of the game, which caused him to drop the football as he landed. I think Iowa state wins this game. Instead, they end up fumbling it there inside the red zone, a questionable targeting penalty. I don't really want to get into that because at the end of the day, nobody really knows what targeting is. And that's the root of the problem, but there was some bad officiating in this game on both sides. I think, if you're going to, to complain about the officiating, I think you've got to complain to the league office. The Big 12 officials have been brutal for years, and this was just another game where on both sides, as I mentioned, miss call after miss call, it, it's getting tiring watching just obvious anybody can see these calls get missed. Yeah, and I could rant for a long time about the problems with NCAA officials. Um I'll save that for the off season because I think that's something that deserves a longer, longer conversation. But uh, yeah, it's a problem. It needs to get fixed, but no one really seems motivated at all to do anything about that. So we're just stuck with what we got. And again, you can't blame officiating for this, but I really would have liked to have seen the clones get a chance at the end. I hate it when officiating kind of ends a chance for a team that's driving to maybe try to tie it up or win it. You hate to see it, especially on a controversial call. I tend to want to see something just extend and let them keep playing. But uh, again, I'm not trying to say I was, had a, necessarily an interest one way or the other. Good job for Iowa State staying competitive on the road in a tough environment where I think most people didn't expect them to play very well at all. They stayed competitive. They look good. But at the end of the day, hats off to Texas for you know coming through. And you know, like we say, you get some close games sometimes. If you can win those close games, we're going to keep saying, yeah, fine, you're, you're good. Right. So Texas still looks good. I think some of the hype around them from some of the national guys, I know Joel Klatt was talking about them being one of the better teams in the country and they should be a playoff team. I don't know if that's there. That's a little preemptive. But again, kind of like what I was saying with Kansas, good job that they're here. Right. They've made a positive step in the right direction. Good job for the Texas program. Let's not get ahead of ourselves just because we may not be at the point where we want to be eventually. Yeah, they they lose that game the last two years. Right. Mm-hmm. They snapped a three game. They skin, did. But- it was a gut check win for Texas, and you got to give them a hat tip. Their offense did struggle, albeit against an Iowa State defense that's top 10 in the country. 
um, but they didn't look as sharp as they have in the weeks past. So clean some mistakes up, and I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, still an impressive an impressive game for Iowa State. I mean, Matt Campbell just continues to be on the wrong side of these bounces, and I, I know that's got to be really frustrating for him. Group of five notes very quickly as we wrap up the show. Georgia Southern knocks off number 25, James Madison, 45-38. Kyle Van Treese had 64 pass attempts. He was not sacked once and threw for over 540 yards. Just an absurd stat line for Van Treese. The Buffalo transfer, uh, Trey, I think as you know, no undefeated group of five teams remain, so... Rest in peace to the G5 uh, on your playoff representation. We'll see you in 2023. Old Dominion, 49. Coastal, 21. This game wasn't even close. The Monarchs jumped out to an early lead, and, I mean, Coastal just couldn't stop them. That was – it, it kind of felt like it was over in a heartbeat. I saw Coastal's – one of Coastal's team accounts, uh, a parody account, of course, was like, are we are we bad this year? Like, there have been so many questions about the, the Teal Chickens defense and – Gosh, they got exposed today. And then East Carolina, 47, Memphis, 45, four overtimes. This game was was wild if you happen to catch it. Lots of points being scored, little to no defense. And then uh, Tulane, Tulane's ranked. They beat South Florida in impressive fashion. And I tell you what, the Green Wave, after going 2-10 and 10 last year, Michael Pratt and company, they're making some noise this season. They're making some waves. Yeah, you missed it. That, that was I did. My bad. Right there. Long, long show. Long show. Yeah. And also, rest in peace to the James Madison claim a championship just because you can. Yeah. You know, rest in peace to that. I was really excited to buy the shirt, but maybe next year. I I saw James Madison Twitter was trying to, to clown Georgia Southern for rushing the field in that game, saying, if we're your Super Bowl, you've got issues. Since when was James Madison ever able to claim <laughs> being somebody's Super Bowl? Uh, we got to stop. College Maybe at the Twitter. lower level. Listen, college football Twitter, stop claiming to be someone's Super Bowl. It's just a bad look when you lose. It, it does not help your cause in any way. So let's just, let's just put that to bed. Let's not even reference the Super Bowl. That's an NFL thing. Leave that for Sundays. Um, you know, congrats to Clay Helton and, and the Eagles for, for pulling that one off. Big win over what has been a very impressive team in James Madison. All right, guys. Well, that's that's a long show. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, so much that we learned this week about, I think, the teams at the top, maybe some of the teams that now really don't have a shot at making any sort of noise. But congratulations to Tennessee, without a doubt. A big-time win in, so far, what has been the game of the year. I'm excited to see if the Vols can pay that off. They played Georgia in a couple weeks. Can they make it to Atlanta? That's the biggest question on my mind. Uh, as we head forward but another good slate of, of football games in week eight we just continue to build towards the crescendo at the end of the season rivalry week uh, all the postseason implications i'm excited to get there i know you guys are as well and uh, we will have a full preview for you in just a couple of days a reminder if you've stayed with us to this point in the show follow us on our social media if you don't already and leave us a review and a like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get those on all the major platforms of course for trey reeves garrett turney i'm mitch mason until next time so long everybody Woo!